Kaya FM Podcast. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell. Kaya FM 95.9. A very good evening to you, Mkai, and welcome to The Law Report. Uh, this is a very special edition of The Law Report where I'm in conversation with um, Justice Yvonne Mokoro. She is the first uh, first black female to be appointed to the Constitutional Court uh, in 1994. So this is one of those shows where not only can you listen to us, but you can also stream live by going to Akaya TV and watch as I speak to um, uh, uh, Justice Mokoro. And, and we'll be covering not just her career, but we'll be covering her life, how she came to be, um, the Justice Mokhora that, that we know and, and her career, her family, everything that you, 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 you would want to know. This is really the show. And we're doing this particularly because it's Women's Month and I think that uh, many people would agree with me that no doubt um, Justice Mokhora is a phenomenal woman and I think that um, uh, the thing about a phenomenal woman is that her inspiration extends to inspiring other women. It extends to inspiring everybody. I'm personally inspired uh, by Justice Mokhoro. Uh, Justice Mokhoro, good evening to you and welcome to the Law Report. Good evening to you too and thank you for having me. Good evening to the viewers and the listeners. Yes, it's right? a, it sounds so strange <laughs> when you say the viewers because, because this is my first um, a show that we, yes. we, we actually yeah. having viewers but, and listeners. Yeah, but thank um, you for having me. Thank you, thank mm. you so much. I've been looking uh, forward to, to, to this interview. And, um, and, 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 and I think maybe a starting point mm. is for those that don't know um, who, uh, because we, we can assume, mm. as a lawyer, I can assume that everybody knows mm. you, but the reality is not everybody knows um, uh, who you are. And, and for your background, um, Justice Mokoro is um, a former constitutional court judge, yes. um, um, was appointed as when, when the court was constituted, because fortunately or unfortunately, we didn't have the um, the Constitution, Constitutional Court um, pre-94. Yeah. I think the first was in, in 1994 mm-hmm. and um, uh, Justice Mohoro was appointed by the former president, Mr. Nelson Mandela. So, so that's my guest this evening and, and of course it, her life story doesn't start with being a Constitutional Court judge. It starts somewhere and we're going to go to that place and we're going to come along and we're going to talk to the the, the the judge before the constitutional court calling mm. we're going to talk to today yeah so um, join me and uh, uh, enjoy the show as I as I as I traverse the life of of one of our phenomenal and great legends in law um, I suppose a starting point is um, the obvious one where did you grow up <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in uh, Kimberley yeah. in Halishiwe you know Kimberley used to be as, as during those days, the city or the town always had a major township. Mm-hmm. So if you say Kimberley and you were black during those days, it actually meant the Khali major Shewe. township. <laughs> so the major township in Kimberley was Khalishiwe. So I grew up in Khalishiwe, was born there. Mm-hmm. I grew up there and I went to school in Kimberley uh, from kindergarten to matric. Yes. And I only left Kimberley when I went to university for the first time, yeah. And, 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 and I think you were responding in, in some interview to um, a question about, you know, how you perceive yourself as a woman. And, 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 and in explaining that, you related it back to how you grew up in your household yeah. as being um, born, first four girls yeah. born of, of, yeah. of, your, of your parents and how that ultimately influences your relationship to yeah. Or, or even your, your, your view of, of, of yourself as a woman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first four children of my parents were girls. Mm-hmm. In fact, they were the first five. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up, I hadn't known the firstborn child of my parents because she passed on, she died. Oh, yes. Uh, before I was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she died in her infancy. So I grew up as the second child and uh, also the second girl. Yes. And uh, during those times, you know, uh, you had a responsibility to the younger, to your younger siblings. Yes. We had working parents 
and they were both uh, uh, workers, laborers. My mom worked in the kitchens. As we said, she was a domestic worker. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a laborer on the uh, railway lines. Okay. She worked for the South African Railways, yes. and they were repairing the railways. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. And um, when they were not there, you had a duty to your siblings. Yes. And as the older ones, and particularly when my sister left for nursing training I was the eldest Mm -hmm. and I had to play my role the motherly role Mm. of an elder older sister Mm. and you had responsibilities that you had to carry out and uh, it was there that we learned that you had to know every time how your siblings are or where they are the first thing my mom would when she comes in from work, she would ask, where is so-and-so, where yeah. is so-and-so? <laughs> and you had to know where they are, you know. You know, then children were free to play in the street. Yes. And it was fabulous to play in the street with your friends, you know, neighbors, friends. But you would know that uh, at a certain time, you have to go back home so that when the parents come back from work, they should find you there. And when you are not there, I, as the elders, had to know where they are. So that motherly role came in quite early, you know. And, yeah. and, and you, you, you attended all of your schooling in Kimberley? Yes. And then you went to a Roman Catholic school? Oh yes, throughout, yes. right from kindergarten. From to, kindergarten? From kindergarten to matric. I went to the same school. Mm-hmm. They had those levels. Mm-hmm. And we were taught by Dom- Dominican nuns. It mm-hmm. was a mission school. And we were taught by nuns. And how did this come about? Um, I would imagine, mm-hmm. you know, so if you look at um, uh, the, the, the population of Khalishiw. It's, yeah. it's a fairly small township. No, it's it it, it Khalishiw is a small township. Well, relative to Soweto, yes, you know, I mean, and so all the is, other big. Yeah, is, yeah. yeah, it is a small township, even mm-hmm. if it is a major township in Kimberley. Yeah. And um, the school was right at the border of 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 the suburbs and the township. <laughs> it is still there. Yes. Yeah. And it was a mission school. We had these missionaries who came to South Africa and would uh, uh, start schools, really good schools then, you yes. know. Um, I think one could compare them to the later Model C yes. uh, uh, type of school. And uh, the education system was good. Yes. Despite Bantu education, they opted to teach us what they thought was necessary for us to know. But when we wrote the exams, we would write the Bantu education okay. exams. So, and so that is why they were, the results were always so good right. of those mission schools. So they, you, you received a training but tested on, yeah. on something Yeah, tested inferior. on the Bantu education department's examinations. Right. Right. Yes, but they would teach us whatever they know we needed to know. You know. They would go broader than just the Bantu education syllabus. And uh, for that reason, those schools were generally good schools. What I find yeah. interesting is if you look at the sort of our stalwarts, our stalwarts in, in, in South Africa, and when you read into their lives, they tend to come from these schools, these mission schools. I mean, your Gavin Becky, your Robert Sobukwes, your, um, you know, you could, I mean, Nelson Mandela is the, is the, is the obvious one, or mm-hmm. Atambo. So there tends to be sort of, it tends to be this breeding ground for excellence. Would, would you share that view? I think so. You know, when I researched Mama Sisulu's uh, uh, biography, yeah. I discovered that she also went to mission schools. And she, like me, also at some stage, because she was taught by nuns, wanted to become a nun. Yes. You all, the girls would all want to become nuns because you see these role models, models you know, yeah. good people. You see them yes. as good people. And you want to be good. You want to work with people. And you want to be a good person. And you want to be a nun. And then at some stage, you know, something clicks. You think, uh, uh, maybe not a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> and you try something else. But uh, generally... People regarded mission schools as good schools because I think relative to the Bantu education schools, they were good schools. Do you think they offered? Yeah, I think I have benefited from attending a mission school. Yeah, Yeah. and I I suppose connected to this, um, I know you're quite passionate about education. Mm -hmm. Um, I I saw one of the um, uh, uh, statements or in an interview you spoke about how your wish is for the South African education model to be re-thought yeah. or re, you know, I think the word you use is to rethink education. 
And I'm trying to connect this yeah. that statement to yeah. to to this question whether you think you would have been the Justice Makhara that we know today, but for that foundational learning and how do you then connect your foundational learning to probably your other experiences and how that part of your life and that experience mm -hmm. can help us understand better what you mean when you're talking about rethinking our education system. Yeah. You know, the value basis of the education system that we were provided with mm -hmm. and also upbringing at home, mm -hmm. value-laden upbringing, value-laden education, mm -hmm. being conscientized and taught how to make the right choices, to make the right choices first, mm -hmm. acknowledging the weaknesses of the human being and the fact that there comes a time when you are faced with choices mm. and the need to make the correct choice. You have that at school, you have that at home. And without a doubt, you grow up with that. And when you reach your teen years, when there are real challenges, that education comes in good stead. Mm. And you find yourself on the rails all the time. Because every time when you're faced with challenges, you know that you have to make the right choice. You don't always make the right choices, mm. but if you've made the wrong choices and you fall, you stand up and you follow, you know, you remember it's where you're coming that from. Just keeps you going. I think the value-laden education where you've where you teach more than just what's in the book. Is that, I mean, yes. I mean let, me, let me bring it to what I would have yeah. observed the education department mm -hmm. talking about lately where mm -hmm. they wanted to, or actually there's intention from the Department mm -hmm. of Education to make things like history mandatory yeah. in the education system. And I think that touches more on the point that you're trying yeah. to make. Yeah. Is, is, is our education system not probably in, in more dire need of technical mm. rethinking, so in other words, skill creation, yeah. because you know um, um, uh, when you look at the the South Africa of today, mm. one of the uh, one of the sort of the services of apartheid, which was deliberate for mm. you can imagine, yeah. was precisely to ensure that there's no technical ability, mm. which comes by way of mathematics and science. Mm. And, 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 and is, 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 is sort of, so I'm trying to connect the value-laden yeah. education system that, that you're talking about, but it, is, and, and, and maybe yeah. test it against sort of technical yeah. know-how. You would need, of course you need the skills. Yeah. If, if, if you just give the skills without the value-laden yes. basis, yes. you cannot go right. If you just give the values, and you don't imbibe with skills, you cannot get it right. You've got to combine the two. Yes. We've got to have an education system which is conscious about the skills need of our society and educate and train learners in a way that will get them to respond to the needs of society. Yeah. People always talk about the need for us to escalate our training in skills by emphasizing more technical education than mm -hmm. academic education. Mm. I think it's right. And it's, they, they talk like that because right now we need a skills basis profile that is heavier in technological education, mm -hmm. maybe than academic education. We can't all be academics. Yes. And it's even better if you have academic know-how and technical skillfulness in one person. One of the things that I personally observe, particularly mm -hmm. in, my, in my own personal life, is, is 
when I studied law and when I was sort of leading to the study of, of law, and I'm thinking from a trick, mm. I had in front of me or before me an mm. immediate sight. Yeah. Nobody that I could consider a role model. I knew yeah. nobody who was yeah. at university. Yeah. I knew nobody that was a lawyer. I knew nobody that was mm. had a degree, yeah. both in my family and in my neighborhoods, because I, I did grow up in more than one neighborhood. Um, and I'm thinking my, my experience, as, as lonely as it felt, mm. was just the other day. Yeah. But your experience would have Goes been... Back. <laughs> <Goes> back. <laughs> you, you, you finished matric in 1970. Yes. And, and one of the things that always fascinate me is, what is it about you, your time, and your circumstances that would have, if I had no reference yeah. point, I know that it's documented you would have had even less <laughs> reference points because... <laughs> Can't you see, the only people were teachers, yes. those were our role models. Yes. And, the and, nuns, case, nuns. and the nuns who taught us, who were teachers, they were nuns, they were teachers, yeah. and we saw them as good people. Yes. In fact, because we were Catholics, we used to say, oh, they are holy people and I want to be holy, yes. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, those were our role models. We had teachers, we had nurses you know, in the neighborhood. In our families, I mean, I come from a family background where we are the first generation of matriculants. Yes. In fact, I was the first one in my family yes. to matriculate, yes. you know. And uh, my sister would have done and, the and, same. And that's, that, that actually goes to the heart of my yeah. question because now being the first to matriculate, yes. which, is, which is a big milestone from yeah, five, absolutely. as you may have called it then, is a big milestone, but, and then you, pursue even greater milestones and and what always fascinates me is um, uh, about people who achieve such mm. milestones is what is it about your life then mm. that after having achieved great success mm. both in your family and possibly in your community mm. you still sought more you know I think ambitions the seeds of ambition may also be planted in your mind because there are no role models. You'll be surprised. Mm. Because there are no role models, there are no lawyers in my community, there are no doctors, there are no judges. You think, maybe I want to become a judge. Mm. It's also, we also need to think like that. Mm. You, know? you read about this people right and they are far-fetched beings you know far-fetched possibilities and I think maybe I could I could do that yes but it is convenient to take just the nearest one the one that you see because it's real the nun the teacher the nurse because they are here they're part of your community they might not be in your home but they're part of your community if you start reading beyond just your own environment you know that these possibilities exist. And I have a colleague who always said, it's necessary to dream. Yes. It is so necessary to dream. You can't just live the reality of the day to day. There's need to dream because it is out of that dream that ambitions come yes. and it is out of ambition that success yeah. usually comes, you know. And you read about these things and you think, maybe, is it possible? What do you need to get there? and they tell you what you need to get there. And you thought, ah. During our days, we thought to have gone through, to graduate from high school with a matric is the beginning of everything. It's hmm. the beginning of your life. It was, it, it was yeah. realistically, it was. I mean, parents used to boast and say, <laughs> I have a matric in my house. <laughs> I have a matric, my child is a matric. That's how they used to say it. Yeah. But, um, I think, you know, it is not always that we are limited to role models. Mm. Maybe sometimes we, 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 we uh, um, underestimate the lack of role models. Mm. And that is why it is so necessary to increase your knowledge, to expand your knowledge beyond just your environment. Because you may just learn about things which you have never imagined before. That's, you know? I want to... On that note, I want to take a break. I'm in conversation uh, with Justice Yvonne Mokoro. 
Um, she is the first black woman to be appointed to the Constitutional Court by the former president, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela. Uh, when we come back, I'll be continuing my discussion, so do stay with us. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. I'm in conversation with uh, Justice Yvonne Mokoro, and we're talking about you, and we're celebrating you, and um, we're celebrating you at a, at a very important time in our country um, where we're also celebrating uh, Women's Month. Um, and, and I think that um, you epitomize for, for us. You're not just a judge, you, you, you're a mother to, to all of us because I think sometimes when we, when, we, when we seek guidance and wisdom, we look to those that have come before us. And, and unfortunately for, for most of us, our reference point doesn't go, from a professional point of view, doesn't go to 19, 1900. It, it, it really starts in earnest at the dawn of our democracy and, and, and we celebrate you for that. And before we went on a break, we were still talking about how, you know, what would have made you sort of pursue training beyond, beyond matric when matric mm-hmm. was itself such a, such a, such a celebrated uh, a milestone. Yeah. But the interesting thing that I also read is that your choice to study law was, was informed yes. by, by uh, uh, Robert Sobukwe. Yeah. Um, and, unf- and unfortunately and today we, we're learning. Yes, we're learning. Yes. 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 Um, tell us about that, that encounter and, mm-hmm. and your exposure to, to, to the great man and how he influence your your yeah, decision yeah well as you know as i said you know people who we interacted with were mostly teachers mm. yeah they were the first people that we interacted with and i had this when i grew up uh during my high school years i always wanted to be a teacher after i decided that being a nun is not such a good idea yes then i i'm not going to probe further on that please don't <laughs> And I ventured into the teaching profession, yeah. And I said, oh, it's not so bad. I may not be a nun, but I'll be a teacher like the nuns, and yes. I'll be a good teacher. I Middle want to ground. be a good teacher. It's okay. And um, when I went to Tiflup for the first time to the University of the North, mm-hmm. I registered for a BA degree because I intended to teach thereafter. Okay. Yes. And then as things happened, there were these uh, uh, university protests, you know, during the time. Universities were the hotbeds of, 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 of political activity, just yes. like they are today. Yeah. And then at some stage, the university was closed, and then we had to be sent home, and then we would come back, and then they would uh, uh, expel the ringleaders, and then Aluta Continua, and then <laughs> it went on and on and on until at some stage the university was closed for a longer period. So I went home. Yeah, I didn't just go to Joburg to my uncle waiting for us to be called back. I then went home to Kimberley. And um, I had, I was a member of the South African Students Organization, SASO, at the time. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, was the organization which uh, organized the protests. Yeah. So I had material, SASO material, which was banned. The organization was banned. And the, therefore, the material that they distributed was also banned. So mm. I had some of those in my, in my luggage. Mm. And uh, when I reached Kimberley, and I packed them right underneath, right underneath my, 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 my books. So when I got to the station, obviously they had opened my case, uh, they intercepted my case, and they found the material. On, on what basis? Why, why would you uh, have stood out as a suspect? I have no idea. They probably knew. The intelligence was good. Yeah. Their intelligence was really good. They probably know, knew that uh, we were from the university, and they probably searched all the cases, all the, the, the luggage of the students who came from the university, and they knew that we were involved in the, the, the uh, protests or strikes and, and during you said the time. Teflop was Limpopo, what is yes. now Limpopo yes. University. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so all the yeah. way from All Kimberley. the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You had to go to the ethnic university where you belonged. Yes. At the time, I could not go to Forte, for example. Forte was meant for Tosa-speaking yes. uh, people. Tiflop was for Soto-speaking people. You know that we couldn't even go to uh, a historically white universities unless you had permission from the Minister of Internal Affairs, that kind of thing. 
So I went all the way to Limpopo. We, we didn't have other universities nearby. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started my university education. So they probably opened all the suitcases mm. that uh, belonged to students who came from Tuflop, students who were in Kimberley. And in my suitcase, they found the spent mm. material. Mm. So, uh, Prof's, um, uh, uh, Mr. Sobukwe, we called him Prof. Oh, yes. Yeah, Prof Sobukwe um, was uh, one of two lawyers, practicing lawyers in Kimberley at the time. It was him and Ntaten Zimande. So uh, my family got him to represent me and defend me in this matter. Mm. And uh, they sort of withdrew the case. He made some argument and they withdrew the case. Okay. And uh, the long and short of it is that as we were walking to the taxi rank, he had a car, but he never drove, you know. Yeah, he, I remember Prof had a Hillman, a blue Hillman. You probably don't know what a Hillman is. No, I don't, is. but I'm going <laughs> to Google it straight there. after this. <laughs> yes, uh, he had a car, but he hardly drove it. He took public transport. So we both walked to the taxi rank and we had this conversation. And um, I asked... Surely it's about time that more men in Kimberley studied law so that they can help these only two uh, uh, lawyers. There's so much going on. People get arrested, they get detained without trial, and you can't just have two lawyers doing all of this work because we don't trust that uh, white uh, lawyers from the white communities could do a good job defending yes. black people against their own system. Yes. You know, that was yes. the thinking. Yeah. And uh, he looked at me and said, Yvonne, please, what do you mean more men should study law? Why yeah. don't you go? Wow. I said, no, prof. I mean, look at the legal profession. It's, it's just men. It's dominated by men. And he said, so what? It's dominated by men, but it is not confined to men. Wow. He said, you can also do it. And I challenge you. A minute. When I went back to Tuflop, when the, the, the universities reopened, and I went back, I registered for a law degree. <laughs> and my idea was that I am going to be a formidable defense lawyer. Yeah. And I will fight the system through my practice. Yeah. I never got the chance. My first, the first time when I graduated from law school, and I practiced law, I was a public prosecutor. Yes. But at the time. We already had the Bantu stand system, so yeah. I was practicing as a public prosecutor in Mabato in a homeland yeah. system. Yeah, and uh, from there I went to the university to teach. I was recruited to the university to teach, and I, you know, this is now progressed. Of yeah. and I progressed into until I became a professor. And Be- before we, we, we actually conclude, because I think yeah. that there's something to go back to. What I found yes. fascinating was that you matriculated in 1970, but you graduated with your BU in 1982. At, at, at Buputajwana University. But that's 12 years later. Yes, it's 12 years later. I worked Again. in between, went to university, was expelled, worked in between. There was a time when I worked for about four to five years in a row. Yes. without going back to school. But registered, but having done a few... No, I, I gave up. Okay. I gave up and I came home and I worked and I tried to study through UNISA and I just couldn't manage home. I got married, couldn't manage home and marriage and raising children. Then finally, Buputajwana started a university. Yes. And then I went to university in Buputajwana. But by then I had already one and a half years of legal courses. I had done my first year, I had done my second year halfway, and uh, I joined the second year, uh, uh, University Legal Studies at the University of Tachwana, after all that time. So when I, I, and I studied part-time, mm. I was working at the time, I was working in the Department of Justice. So the second time around, the, the first second time, time around, around full-time? Full-time, just, just, just for one and a half years, full-time. Yes. After that... I gave it up. Yeah. I went to work and I worked as a, a salesperson at one of the Edgar's uh, 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 clothing, <laughs> you know, retail stores. And uh, after that time, I decided 
let me no the reason why we ended in up in Puputajuano we moved to Johannesburg my husband okay so uh, now m you you get married which year yeah we get married in 1984 this is, so I was, but you, yeah. by then you graduated, you yeah. got your B, you No, 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 not yet. I'm still struggling. Right. Yeah, I'm still struggling. When I went to Puputa Joana and joined them in the second year of the university and second year of legal studies, I was already married. Mm. Yeah, I was already married, I already had children. So, and I had a job, a full-time job. So I was working part-time. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we, would, we didn't have a car, walked to work. After work, walked to the university, part-time after, after work. Straight from work to the university, up to about 10 o'clock at night, mm. walk back home. Mm. Yeah. Then my husband was not studying. He was, we were talking about being supportive. Mm -hmm. He was the supportive husband. Right. Yeah. And, and when and you say we're talking about, because yeah. off, off, off air or offline, yeah. we had a conversation yes. which I had hoped we'd expound on, on how, you know, because, because sometimes when one considers marriage, yeah. children, and a career, it seems a very difficult thing yeah. and, and yeah. To, to, to achieve yeah. and manage. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the point that you wanted to oh, address. Yes, absolutely. And part-time studies mm -hmm. and I also had a full-time job yeah you know. and uh, I managed tried to balance things with of course the support of a supportive husband mm. you know I considered myself at the time it was not ordinary that the woman would be going to school and the husband would support I remember somebody <laughs> saying to my husband when you allow your wife to go to university and be as educated as you are yeah you will probably regret it one day yeah and yeah. we just laughed about it yeah. yeah and he told me that this friend of him said that but um i managed to graduate with a b-uris mm -hmm. and um that is when I went to, uh, and also with an LLB then, and LLB was, was, was a postgraduate yes. qualification. Yes. And that's when I went to the magistrate's court to serve as a public prosecutor. Okay. But then the university recruited me to teach with an LLB, and uh, I studied for a master's degree. I got a master's degree at uh, Unibo, and I got promotion, and then uh, I got a scholarship to go and study in the United States this at the University, University of, of, Pennsylvania. Yeah, of Pennsylvania. I got mm -hmm. a second master's degree and that also has a story around it because the initial intention was to study to get a PhD, mm -hmm. a doctor in laws. Yeah. Uh, what uh, they would call a, a, a PhD yes. in law. And, and then just on the topic mm -hmm. of spousal support, yeah. when you then go study in the USA, I'm assuming the husband doesn't follow no 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 we have this understanding between us yeah. that whatever we do whatever progress we make in our studies is for the benefit of the family yes it is not for your own benefit yes okay? it's for the benefit of the family so we have that basic understanding so when you follow your ambition and you achieve it we all going to benefit from it so my husband went over to do a master's degree in public administration. Mm -hmm. yeah. He had a BSc, he had a, an honors in public administration, and he went to the University of Toledo, he got a scholarship uh, to study a master's degree. Mm. And he went away for two years. Mm. And we got a, an opportunity to visit him. It's just, just me and my youngest daughter, my youngest child. And we could connect. Mm. And then when he came back after graduation, after a year after he came back, I got the same scholarship and I went to study. And the idea was to come back with a doctor, doctoral degree because I had a master's degree. Mm -hmm. But then something happened and it, it intervened. Madiba was released in uh, 1990. 90. Mm -hmm. And I was at Penn. By the time Madiba was released in February, when he was released, I just completed 
my coursework, which was a requirement of the PhD. In, mm. a, in the United States, if you come from a foreign country, you had to do what they call bridging mm. courses. Mm. And the bridging courses for an LLD was the master's coursework. Right, right. So I had just so it's completed almost your that. LLM didn't receive yes. total recognition. You had to, you had to have uh, uh, the bridging courses. Right. I had my LLM and that is why they agreed that I could do an LLD. Mm. But you had to bridge what they thought was a gap. Mm. But it was all the master's courses. So I attended classes with the master's classes. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I did the same courses that they did. So Madiba gets released. It's big news. South Africans gather. Mm. We sit there overnight. And you watching this of the, all the way from of, the of, USA. Of, yes, yes, because of the time differences we sit up all night. We're waiting for Madiba to walk out of Victor Fester. And as Madiba is walking out of there with Winnie hand in hand and all of these people around them with cerebral pious and we are all emotional, yes. you know, and the whole world was watching. Yes. I couldn't sleep that night. I just could not sleep. The following morning, woke up very early, went straight to the registrar's office. And I say to the registrar, you know what, I think I want to go home. You just finished, I was busy with the, uh, uh, doing my res the research for my proposal. But you can't go home, you've just uh, completed your, uh, uh, your courses your master's coursework, bridging courses for the LLD. I thought you were busy. I, I said, you know what, if I have to stick around here and do my LLD, I would probably have to leave this place, the United States, within three years. Mm. By then, when I go back to my country, I won't recognize it. Mm. And I don't think I want that. I want to be there. I want to be part of the changes that mm. are going, that I imagine. Mm are going to happen in my country and I want to make my contribution hmm. and he said I know where you're coming from I understand completely what you're talking about but why don't you do this you have the master's courses instead of researching for your proposal for the LLD thesis why don't you use that same information and write the short dissertation that is required to complete an LLM. I know you have an LLM, mm. but it doesn't hurt for you to have a second one. Yes. Especially because the courses that you did, you've done, are totally different from what you did in the first LLB. Yes. And I thought, brilliant. Yes, perfect. Immediately, I went to register for the So I registered for my master's. After I completed the master's courses, I deregistered for the LLD and I registered for master's. That is why I have a, a second master's degree. Sure. And indeed, I came back home. I couldn't wait to come back home. At graduation, you know, Americans have this mass graduation. You don't yeah. walk, you know, uh, uh, onto the stage, you know, and cap get capped individually. You just collect your certificate. You all stand there. You ask to rise, and. Uh, you are declared graduates, and then you throw yes. your metabolics. I was looking forward to throwing it. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I TV too much. <laughs> so, by the time I graduated, when I went to graduate, my bags were packed. Sure. <laughs> After that, I didn't even buy the regalia. I just took off. Sure. Thank you very took much. Took it back. The cab drove me to the airport. But the interesting thing is, um, given the, the age difference between yourself and, and, and Madiba, yeah. I'm assuming you wouldn't have known each other. No. And, and, and then that I would... I saw him for the first time. Yes, because yes. You, you, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, they wouldn't have, have known him, particularly yourself, given, given your age relative to his. And, and, and I'm sort of trying to work out in my head how oh, okay. his mere release... Yeah could have yeah. propelled you and inspired you to want to come back. And I'm also trying to imagine your age at the time, 1990, mm. yes. and you would not have been 
um, you would have been what? I'm assuming 41. In the, in the 40s, in, yes. In, when in, I was appointed to the court, I was 44. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were politically savvy. Right. We were conscientized. Yes. Remember, I was a member of Sesso. the South African Students Association. Steve Biko. And yeah, my husband was at medical school at some stage, and he was the president of SASO on campus. Yes. So we were that caliber of students. Yeah. I mean, on Kopuzetiro strikes, we were in the forefront of those. We were conscious of the brutality of the system and at an individual level at a collective level you had this ambition to be part of the struggle mm. and you knew you understood that the struggle was against a brutal system of apartheid and as difficult as it was as brutal as it was we believed that we will overcome it we and sang songs about overcoming it. We sang songs about imagining ourselves mm. in a free, democratic South Africa. Mm. And we looked forward to it. And it didn't help that I was a law student. You, you kept up. You kept up with the possibilities. Yes. I'm in conversation yeah. uh, with Justice Yvonne Mohoro. Um, fascinating discussion. Um, I, I love how your life story just touches... <laughs> On, on so much of South African history uh, and how your life is in, in and of itself um, our history and our legacy and our heritage. I want to take a break and when we come back we continue our chat. Yeah. Know your rights, know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, I'm having a conversation of my life and, and, I, and I'm hoping that you are enjoying it just as much as I am, I'm in conversation with Justice Yvonne Mokoro, um, one of the, um, I suppose, the pioneers of our constitutional court, the first, the first set of judges to be appointed to the constitutional court, but also the first black female to be appointed to the uh, constitutional court. And we're having a very fascinating discussion about her life and, and how um, uh, she came to be um, the, the justice that we, we, we have come to know through your work and your judgment. And, and, and before we went on a break, we, we, we were sort of somewhere in terms of a timeline in 1990. And, 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 and I'm trying to imagine sort of you coming back into South Africa. Have, before you left South Africa, you had been working for the University of Uputajwana yeah. as an as a, as a associate <laughs> professor. Yeah. Now you're coming back, am I correct to assume yeah. that as you then see the euphoria around the release of, of Madiba, are you then envisioning yourself going back into academia? Or where, where then do you then place yourself in, in this South Africa that is soon to be a new one? I had spent a year plus in the United States. I was fascinated by the productivity of American professors. They churn out books. They write about every conceivable issue. They create a book out of one issue. And I could see myself doing that with this new constitution, this new constitutional democratic dispensation. I'd already started writing about the role of the judiciary in the new democratic South Africa. I'd started writing articles which were published. And I could see myself giving courts guidance, interpreting the <laughs> Constitution. I could see myself participating in the popularization of this Constitution. And all I wanted to do was to be a professor who writes constitutional law books. Yes. And I was going to start as soon as I come. And uh, I left the University of Putachwana because my husband was quite involved in politics. And when Putachwana was, uh, well, we were all activists, okay, and he always was in the leadership. We were together, activists. He was in the leadership of, 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 of the staff associations, uh, uh, activities at the time. The University of Putajwana, like every other university, was also a hotbed of, of, of politics. It, in, it included the staff. So we were staff members and we had our organization, Staff Association, and we were involved in politics. 
So uh, we actually started the first uh, uh, branch of, in fact, he led the first, started the first branch of the uh, uh, ANC mm. uh, in, after it was banned, after it was uh, unbanned, uh, yeah, in Buputachwana. Yes. So uh, the political situation became so rough that we had to leave Buputachwana and we went to uh, the University of the Western Cape. We both got teaching positions there. I was teaching at the law school and he was teaching at the, he started the School of Governance at the University of uh, the Western Cape. Right. So we were there for about two years and they recruited him to the Development Bank. DBSA. And DBSA. And of course, I had to follow as the yeah. wife. I was having that time of my life yeah. at the University of the Western Cape. I think for the time, the two years that I spent at the University of the Western Cape, I probably have grown uh, 10 times sure. as an academic. And I loved what I was doing. Now, we have this debate yeah. amongst lawyers about how, you know, judges, you know, often, or I suppose traditionally, judges yeah. are taken or chosen from amongst advocates. And yes. And Yes. And, and and largely advocates, yes. uh, less so attorneys, but even less so academics. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and you are then from academia, yeah. And 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 you become yes. a judge. But before you become yeah. a judge, and 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 so that's a one part. That's yeah. one exception about you, mm. uh, is that you, mm. you 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 originate from academia. Yeah. But the other exception is. You had never been a judge in any other court. I had never been a practicing lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> the book. Exactly. So, yes. so I mean, I mean, you know, that's yes. sort of to add to it. Very untraditional. Uh, and now you, you get called to, 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 uh, to be a judge in the constitutional court. And I want to have this mm. conversation in two parts, really. Mm. How are you then? How does a conversation? Who starts the conversation for you to be a judge in the constitutional court? Nomination. Mm. Somebody calls me and says, Joanne Fadler, she was, I think, director of a women's organization. She calls me and she says, Yvonne, I want to nominate you to the Constitutional Court. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> and she says, yes. I said, no. Yes. I want to continue to do what I've started. I want to look at the judiciary and stand from outside and hopefully push them towards being democratic judges, human rights judges in a democratic uh, uh, dispensation. I want to write about, I want to watch them like a hawk <laughs> and analyze their judgments, you know, and analyze the constitution. She says, no, 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 Yvonne, we need, number one, we need women yeah. and we need women of your thinking yeah. in the judiciary. And then maybe if we get people like you, things will change. It's more difficult to change things from outside yeah. than it is when you are inside. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> but then she, 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 she leaves me. Yeah. And then I get other people. I get other people who come to me and they say, Yvonne, we want to nominate. Because they had to ask you, you had to sign a nomination yeah. form. And the same argument goes on and on and on, but others come with other facts. I think I was more tired of, of resisting it <laughs> than wanting to do it. I thought, okay, I'll do it, hoping that I will not go too far, you know. But then you ask how an academic gets to do that. Throughout the history of the judiciary, as you say, they drew their, uh, uh, from the practice, the yeah. private practice. But uh, the pool that was accommodative to black people was not there. Mm -hmm. The bar was white dominated. There were no women there generally. But not the argument women, be different generally, for academics though, uh, Judge? Just a minute. Mm. Generally no women, generally no black people or few black people. SCs, you know, non-existent. Mm. So it was necessary to increase the pool from which the judiciary would draw in a democratic society in mm. order at least for the first few years 
to get sufficient people to balance the race, the gender mm -hmm. in courts. And then the Constitution says we get a provision in the Constitution which accommodates that and actually says as long as you have 10 years experience in areas yes. of post-university, 10 years experience. So the interpretation was it didn't matter yes. what your experience was. As long as you have 10 year practical experience, you would qualify to be nominated and interviewed for a position. And there was... That reluctant, that reluctant Reluctant, judge. <laughs> yes. But, oh. I, I, I watch interviews to, to, uh, for, for uh, aspirant judges yeah. uh, where they televised and y y the, the interviews are yes. from, by politicians. Oh, and some of them are, are quite brutal. Are you, oh. are you happy that <laughs> you became a judge before Before the that. <laughs> Well, it was unusual the, at the time because the interviews were in a public space at the city hall, which could accommodate, you know, a whole community around the city, and uh, live media was there, yes. except of course television. Yeah. I remember we were interviewed immediately after Clarence Thomas was interviewed in the United States, the uh, black judge in the United States who had quite a tough time uh, it being interviewed by the Senate, yeah. you know. And uh, all the skeletons came out of the closet, yes. were dug out of the closet, and people felt that it is, it is not a good way of interviewing judges, you know. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the electronic media was not permitted, but the press was there. Yes. And of course, the following day, the headlines were screaming. But it was a pleasant interview. I yeah. think it was a pleasant but interview. I also Relative that. to what happens now, <laughs> I'm so lucky I came then. But then I always say, there would have been no skeletons to unearth. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm thinking now, um, so we're talking about, about that equal representation. Yes. And, and when you were appointed, you were one of two female yeah. justices. Yes. And 24 years on, there's three. Oh, at the court. At the Constitutional yeah. Court. Yes. And we know that there's more women in South Africa than there are men. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and, 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 and you know, we talk at, at various levels about the, you know, gender inequality yeah. and empowerment and, and I'm not sure whether we can be said to be practicing what we're talking about if our, if mm. our highest court yeah. is, doesn't, that doesn't resemble that. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And trust me, it is not for the lack of qualified women. Mm. I, I, I never strongly, bought into that. I, mean, I, that's, yeah. I always say, they don't look hard enough. Yes. But then the counter argument is always, women must put themselves forward. They must put themselves forward. They must be nominated. The JSC doesn't go out and search for women. But, but, but I shouldn't think, it? Well, let, let, let me tell you why I think it should do that. Mm. Or it should at least encourage. Mm. Find ways of encouraging women to go forward. Mm. You know, the way now we do it now, you know, we speak to women and ask them to agree to nomination, mm. you know. There was a time when um, there was only one position at the Constitutional Court. I'll make this a very short uh, story. There was only one position at the Constitutional Court. And uh, the, Constitu the, the, the JSC recommended one man. Mm. And there had been women mm. who had put themselves forward for, 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 for appointment. And they recommended this one man. And at the time, President Thabo Mbeki was uh, in office. He sent that recommendation back. That's right. He said, I, had nothing, I have nothing against the one person. Yes. But in this day and age, surely you cannot present me with one candidate when we should, and that's not even a woman, when mm. we need women judges. Mm. In that court in particular, we need women judges. Kindly go back and just 
do your homework in other words and and, and, and you and, know that yeah the women went around yeah. and nominated <laughs> Babatana. <laughs> they went and they challenged people they said you are not so, so they Serving. went. They went to another. They went to a, the reluctant. You judge. know, they went to those <laughs> reluctant people who would say, "My children are still young." The thing yes. that we're talking about. Generally, it is the women who are given the responsibility by society to raise children. And if you are seen to be a woman who would be at the court writing a judgment at 12 p.m. at night and yes. you are not at home, mm -hmm. people will raise their eyebrows yes. and they will they even call you names. On that you know? topic though, on the topic, Judge, um, what advice would you give to the 20-year-old um, um, female professional, mm -hmm. because it, it extends beyond lawyers, who wants to have children as many as you know that she would want she wants to have a good career wants to have a good marriage um what advice would you give to 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 that woman yeah. you know and and i say women specifically because yeah, 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 because, because that's I, i'm alive to the fact that yes. when i get married oh, everybody absolutely. expects my wife to support me mm. but but it's not necessarily uh, applicable to to a woman yeah. i would want to make this very clear. Mm. You can have all of those. If you want to have all of those, you can have all of those. Unfortunately, you have to work at it consciously. Mm -hmm. You have a partner, take him along. Mm. And it is also a challenge to partners. Whatever achievements come to you make sure that your family understands your achievements as their achievements it is the same at national level mm. the strength of women the empowerment of women is not a benefit only to women it is a benefit to the nation and for that reason, women's issues are not women's issues. There are no such things as women's issues. Women's issues are national issues. We must have strong women who participate fully in building this nation with their skills, with their knowledge, with their consciousness. And I always say to women, don't wait until you are given the power Take the power. You are entitled to it. There's no way in our constitution, for example, where it says women must be given equality. Yes. It says we are all, all equal. Yes. It is a fact that is stated. So we are entitled to equality in the same way as our male counterparts are. Who says we have to be given equality by our male counterparts? Yes. No. And women must insist, they must work towards it consciously. And of course, you need, you need, the reality is that you need the support mm. of your families, of your partners, of each other. But we just need to know that women are not, I mean, as Sankara says, you know, you don't do women a favor by what he calls liberating them. Mm. It's not a favor. Our constitution shows clearly that it's not a favor. It's an entitlement. I don't understand, I will never understand anybody who argues that this nation cannot be led by women. I will never understand that. It is, is, I mean, I think we readily accept that the nation can be led. I mean, I think even, even our current president didn't enjoy his presidency. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't there for the taking. He, mm -hmm. he, he it, was, it, was a close, it was a close run. But I think for, for 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 example, uh, 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 Dr. Nkosa I mean, she's generally the exception to the rule. I don't know why and how, yeah. but the fact that it's when we're talking about Women's Month in 2018 and we're celebrating an event, I believe it's 1950, I think, mm. or, or I, I can't remember the the Donbas, yeah. the, the Donbas March, 1956. 56. Yeah. <clears throat> now. We're still having this discussion mm -hmm. so many years later, and, 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 and I fear we'll be having this discussion 
20 years well from i now. hope not i hope not and and, and, I, and I, I wanted to just build in and and, and i'm afraid it might yeah, be my I last know. question <laughs> but what are the immediate wins in other words what can we do tomorrow what can what can michael do what can adg do what can what are what are the yeah. what's readily available for yeah. us i think now we have reached a stage mm -hmm. where we can no longer debate why we think women qualify mm. to participate fully in the development of this country mm. and in building this nation we are, we are beyond that mm. we must now talk about how are we going to achieve that mm. and when mm. that's what we must talk about let's create debates around why how we're going to make to realize that mm. we know that it is necessary let's realize it let's surround our debates about how we should realize it. yes and when we're going to do it yes yeah we we we're done with justifying why women should be full participants in the development of this country thank you very much um uh, justice Eva Mahoro. i'm afraid an hour for no, for, for someone with your accomplishments is, is simply un insufficient. I, I, I didn't cover half of the things that I needed to mm -hmm. cover with you, but but no it, doubt it's a conversation. It, it's a conversation, because, yeah. and and I, I would encourage the mm -hmm. Afropolitans to to read about you, yeah. to learn about you, okay. um, because I think in your story all of us can can find yeah. power. Thank you very much for joining us on the Law Report. It was my pleasure. It was good to be here. And Thank for me, you. Michael Mutoning, Bill, uh, yeah. fellow Afro Afropolitans, I trust that you've enjoyed the show. I look forward to being with you once again next Wednesday. Good night. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Stay tuned to Kaya FM for more.